Welcome to the Middle Tech Podcast, this region's leading business podcast, shining a light on technology, entrepreneurship, and the future of business in Kentucky and beyond. Our goal is to advance the ecosystem by bringing attention to the founders, changemakers, innovators, and those supporting them. Middle Tech's content can be found on your favorite podcast streaming app, social channels, and YouTube. We encourage you to follow and participate in the conversation. Let's discuss and build the future. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You got Logan Jones here with Evan Knowles, uh, recording out of our favorite studio in Awesome Inc. in downtown Lexington. And we just did a special collaboration episode with an awesome organization out of Awesome Inc. called Venture Labs. Uh, so we sat down with Liz Brown Evans, who is the co-director of Venture Labs, as well as uh, Tom Ede, who is the former senior vice president and CTO of Lexmark. Uh, so Lexmark is a behemoth of a company that I'm sure lots of you guys have heard about. Multi-billion dollar company. Multi-billion dollar company. It employs over 9,000 people. Um, and they've got, there. I think he said, over 170 companies that have you know a global footprint. Uh, so we got to sit down with them and discuss corporate innovation. So that was kind of the focus of this conversation. As Venture Labs, they have a program that they can go into larger corporations that are looking to foster innovation. And they have this program that uh, helps their employees think more entrepreneurially. So we actually interviewed Mike Hilton, who is the other co-director of Venture Labs on episode 95. Definitely encourage you guys to go check that out if you'd like to learn more about Venture Labs. Um, But I think a lot of you guys are going to be really surprised uh, about how Lexmark approaches innovation and how they've adapted over the years uh, because they've been in business for a really long time. I mean, Tom alone, he's been there for 31 years. Yeah. He's just, just now retiring. I mean, the crazy thing is like they've had to adapt and stay relevant over time as people need printers less and less. You know, it's like it's no secret that because of DocuSign and the cloud and you know Microsoft, Word, and like all these different technologies that, you know, paper is needed less and less. And they've stayed managed to stay relevant and found new ways to, you know, produce uh, efficiencies mm-hmm. uh, and stay relevant as far as revenue goes. Um, so we talked about, you know, what Lexmark is, uh, how they approach innovation, the barriers they face with innovation as a really large corporation that is multinational and just around the world. You know, that's a big struggle for large businesses is staying innovative. So we talked about how they do that and the barriers. We talked about the programs they put in place to foster that innovation you know, they constantly have to be figuring out you know, how to engage employees in different ways and making sure that they want to be innovative because that's another thing that is a barrier that he talks about is making sure that these employees know that they can be innovative. Uh, and then we talked about the future of Lexmark and what that looks like because clearly it can't be paper and print. Like there's always going to be, he says, there's always going to be a need for print. But if that's the case, they're going to have to be a much smaller business as time goes on. So they're, what they're doing is really interesting on how they're approaching their existing technologies and figuring out new ways to leverage it. Um, and a little teaser, you know, has something to do with edge computing, which I thought was yeah. really exciting. Uh, yeah. But they're doing really amazing things. And so this is an episode that some of you might drive down Newtown Pike and wonder what Lexmark is and how they're you know influential, especially in the Lexington area. And this episode will answer a lot of those questions for you. Yeah, I'm sure Tom's presence will be very missed at Lexmark. You can tell he's uh, just a very forward-thinking guy, very uh, people-focused and employee-focused. Um, so we're very grateful to sit down with him as he's uh, exiting Lexmark and, and talk about his experience with corporate innovation and, and being the CTO over there. Uh, but before we dive into this episode, as always, want to give a quick shout-out to our sponsors here. Uh, so the first one we'd like to give a quick shout-out to is the Land Betterment crew. So Land Betterment, uh, as you guys know, they're providing sustainable business solutions uh, on some of these abandoned coal mines and providing much-needed jobs to the communities that have lost uh, those mines. So you can check them out at landbetterment.com. And if you're an entrepreneur starting a business and you're serious about that business, I highly suggest reaching out to an attorney. Uh, the attorney that that I use and that we're promoting uh, on Middle Tech is Brandon Johnson. He's an awesome guy. He makes it fun. And the reason you hire a lawyer there are a ton of templates out there that an entrepreneur can use, but the reason you hire a lawyer is you know, that sense of security and trust that you did it the correct way so that if your company grows and you're serious about it, you don't have to worry about that as it grows. And Brandon uh, really does a great job walking you through all the steps. And again, just makes it very, uh, you know, not necessarily 
like you're waking up in the morning looking forward to it, but he makes it more fun than I'm sure, you know, a lot of lawyers uh, would because he's very focused on small businesses, very focused on entrepreneurs. He understands them. He loves to work with them. He's from the Kentucky area, so he can connect with you in that way. So highly suggest reaching out to him. He's worked with uh, Papa John's, Louisville Slugger, so many great startups that we've had on this podcast, as well as Instagram influencers. So really encourage you to reach out to him. He's a joy to work with. And again, I trust him. I worked with him. So uh, reach out, go to middletechpod.com slash Johnson Law to learn more. And before we get started, we just wanted to tell you guys about a great opportunity from our sponsor, Render Capital. So Render Capital is a Louisville-based investment firm with a shared mission of advancing the startup ecosystem in Kentucky and the Midwest. Are you a startup founder who could use $100,000? If so, Render Capital wants you to apply for their 2021 Render Competition. The Render Competition invests $100,000 into eight early-stage startups each year to help them scale their solution and attract future investment. Your startup should be one of those startups. Anyone is welcome to apply, and it's super easy. Applications are open now, and the deadline to apply is May 6th. Learn more about the Render Competition and apply today at render.capital competition or check out today's episode description for a direct link. Again, that's render.capital slash competition. All right, guys, we've got a fully occupied podcast room here. Normally we don't. Normally it's just Logan and I with COVID and our virtual uh, recordings, but now we've got uh, Liz and Tom in here. Uh, but before we get into, you know, Lexmark, Tom, we get before we get into what you're doing over there and Liz, what you're helping them with, let's get into uh, your background, Tom. So talk about, you know, where you're from, education, and then we'll talk about your professional background after you talk yeah, about those absolutely. things. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, first of all, thanks for letting me be a part of this. I really appreciate it. I've been impressed with Middle Tech and uh, watching your podcast. So I'm glad to be talking to the Middle Tech audience. I appreciate it very yeah, much. Um, so my background a little bit, born in Wisconsin, but I uh, grew up in Kentucky, so from the area. Uh, Bowling Green, Western Kentucky. Uh, went straight to college there uh, at WKU for computer science and ended up not finishing that, got more interested in electronics and made my way to electronic technician program and graduated from that, worked seven or eight years as a technician uh, always the assistant to the engineer, if you will, in those jobs. Great job. I loved it, uh, but wanted to do more. So I, that brought me to UK, uh, where I got my uh, double E degree at UK. So electrical engineer. Uh, started, I was still at UK uh, with IBM and then on to Lexmark. So. so what's the difference between a technician and an engineer? What like what things can't you do if you're yeah. a technician? What things can you do if you're an engineer? So, great question. Uh, technician, I was basically repair and maintenance. So I learned how a lot of very cool things worked uh, and how to fix them and keep them working. It wasn't designing the new thing. So the real big difference is the engineer designs the new version. The technician keeps the current version running, hmm. if that's a big thing of it. It's yeah. a good distinction. Yeah. And uh, before we dive into Lexmark here, because this is a, yeah. a well-known name here in yeah. Lexington that I'm sure many people are excited to hear about, I uh, want to bring it over to Liz here. Liz Brown Evans is a name I'm sure many people have heard around the community and even on this podcast uh, a few times. So Liz, uh, first off, give us your title for uh, Venture Labs and kind of explain to the audience a little bit why we're doing what we're doing here. Why, why am I why, here today? Why are, you, why are you here today? <laughs> why do I get to sit, sit next to Tom? So uh, yeah, thank you, Logan. As uh, they said, I am Liz Brown Evans. So I'm on the Awesome Inc. team with our newest program called Venture Labs, which is uh, the shortest way of putting it is we are... Awesome Inc.'s newest corporate innovation consulting company um, that we are spinning out. So we are taking Awesome Inc.'s history working with, uh, it will be 12 years on April 1st, actually, 12 years of working with startups and entrepreneurs, and we're applying that to the corporate space to help establish companies, be more innovative, test new ideas, develop new ideas, iterate on new ideas. So we, the Venture Labs team, has built just a really fun relationship with Tom and Lexmark, um, I think, spoiler, Lexmark has been around for so long, which means they've had to be innovative in order to stay around for this long. And so he's been just an incredible uh, advisor and friend to us um, over the last two years, really. And so I wanted to talk to him. You guys wanted to talk to him. So I basically just forced my way into the room so I can <laughs> also no forcing about it. Talk, yeah. talk to everyone. Happy so. to collab. No. And yeah, uh, speaking of Venture Labs, we actually had uh, Mike Hilton on 
uh, as well on episode 95. So if you guys want to learn more about Venture Labs and what you guys are doing, you guys are doing some really cool stuff within corporate innovation. I would highly encourage our listeners to go check that out. So now let's go ahead and, and dive into Lexmark. So kind of the reason we wanted to get someone from Lexmark on, and first let's dive into your title. You're you're about to retire now, which congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, but let's see, before I forget the title here, uh, <laughs> Senior Vice President and CTO Correct. of Lexmark. So let's dive into first just what is Lexmark? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who've heard the name, but might not know exactly what Lexmark does. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you asked it that way because um, I think it's very unknown to most people. Lexmark mm-hmm. is really a technology company. And I say that in the broadest sense of the term. And, and what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, it was IBM in the beginning. And IBM set out to make laser printers. And most people don't realize in order to make a laser printer, you have just about every fundamental science that there is. And so IBM never bought anything. They built it all. And so we literally have physicists, physicists, chemists, optical engineers, materials engineers, of course, electrical and mechanical engineers. We build everything, all the components, all the molecules, all the science. It's all designed Mm. and done there and has been for 30 years. Lexmark's 30 years old today or this month, I should say. Sorry. I was going to say today. Well, it's the 27th, so it's close to today. Oh, wow. But uh, so, yeah, we're a technology company now. Most people know us as a printer company. That is our main product. Uh, But over the years, we've done laptops. uh, We've done software. We've done all kinds of different things. We've done robotics. uh, A lot of different things we've dabbled in, but it's always been centered around print. That's the way I'd say it. And so when we talked on the phone, one of your competitive advantages that you all, that you had mentioned was that you do everything Mm in-house. And what advantage does that give you from a perspective of innovation and being able to move quickly? Does it help you with that? Talk about what it means to do everything in-house yeah, and the advantages that come with that. It is a huge advantage. And, uh, and one of the things that's enabled us to compete with the companies we compete with. So you think about Lexmark and we are a big company. Everything's relative, but compared to our competitors, we're quite small. Uh, and our big advantage is we are able to customize way beyond what they can do. So we dial in our solutions and our products and things for our customers in a way that the big giants like Hewlett Packard, Canon and Xerox, they can't really do that uh, because they are so large. Uh, They have to kind of offer a standard offering uh, and that's all they can do. But we can highly customize what we give our customers. So would that make you all like more enterprise where they're kind of mid to Uh, consumer market or what is that? It's a little bit of that. I mean, we definitely are more enterprise and business focused. Uh, and those businesses tend to have unique needs, which we can fit well. Uh, they are better at mass market. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Is that an adaptation that Lexmark made over the years of realizing this is the niche we can find in the industry competing against those? It, it did uh-huh. happen a little bit naturally, uh, but also with some thought. So what I would tell you is back in the early days, we found a few things we could do for banks that were quite unique on how they open accounts and what their needs are for printing and how banks are distributed. And we built our system around that. And then once we got a few banks, then all the other banks kind of learned we were good at banks. Hmm. And then we became like, we have nine of the top 10 banks in the world. Most people don't know that. Use like smart printers because we really understand banks. And so then we took that to retail and we have all the top retailers and retail pharmacies and big companies like Walmart use Lexmark because we're really good at retail. And we did that across seven different markets and became experts in those markets and mm. just went and dominated in those fields. And it's been a great formula. It's really worked well. I have, I have a potentially ignorant question before you <laughs> keep going. So I walk into Walmart. Mm-hmm. Are you saying they don't sell your product, the employees use your Like where, where am I going to find a Lexmark? Correct. In the okay. back office, you will find Lexmark. Okay. Yeah. And bridging off of that, you know, obviously the landscape of printing and cloud and, you know, word and like everything like that has changed. I'm sure the printing business, what are some of the most common use cases with a Walmart or with a bank? What are they printing nowadays? What are the most common things you find people printing? Oh, so that's a great question because it is in decline. And the other thing that's forced us to be very adaptive is the amount of printed paper used every year has gone down consistently year after year since we've been in business. It's never gone up. Mm. Uh, So we have to challenge that perception of it isn't about getting people to print more. It's about understanding what they need to print. And believe it or not, one of our big taglines for a long time was print less, save more. So we literally were going in winning business saying we can reduce your printing. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's actually a fact because we've implemented some really cool innovations like uh, you don't get your print job doesn't come out on the printer till you go to pick it up and swipe your badge because like 30% of print jobs, people will send it and they never go get it. Hmm. And so it's wasted paper. Uh, sorry, I, I digressed a bit there. Back to your question, Evan. Uh, there's a lot of forms and paperwork that go with business that just still happen in the back office. Checklists that managers have to complete, uh, forms that have to be sent in, compliance that has to be met. Uh, we do a lot of business in pharmacy and the patient information sheet that has to go out with every single prescription, for example, that still has to be printed. So it's really places where the business need drives a print. But I can tell you right now, every one of those businesses is trying to eliminate every one of those pages every way they can. They really are. And banking, we talked about banking. Um, I was on a call, a CIO call uh, with several CIOs from some major banks late last year. And in a span of about four weeks after COVID hit, they went from the regulators allowing about 20% of digital signatures across their portfolio of documents to 80%. Wow. And they said that was progress they had been fighting for 10 years or more hmm. that happened in a month. Because what, what kind of regulation would keep them from being able to use? So various banking regulators and legal regulators will force a wet signature because it, it means you were present and there and actually signed the documents. So several legal documents, wills, estate wow. documents, yeah. uh, transactional documents require, still require wet signature. I mean, every time I go in to buy a house. Right. You have to it's sign. It's a whole stack every But time. there's, there is a class of documents where you can now do digital signature. I'm sure you've done them, right? Where they mm-hmm. send you a DocuSign, Adobe, yeah, DocuSign yeah. for example, right? Uh, that's becoming more and more accepted and the legislators have been fighting it. Uh, saying we still want wet signature because we, you know, it's tradition, more secure, you know, all you can imagine the arguments, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's hugely affected our business because now the banking industry is moving digital at such a rapid rate. And we're, we're back here saying we prefer the wet. (laughs) (laughs) Keep signing those documents. Yes. Yeah. So give us an idea of what the size of the company is currently in terms of yeah. amount of employees, uh, global footprint, you know, all the countries you sure. guys are operating in. Yeah, Lexmark's still pretty big. We're around 9,000 employees. Uh, we're in over 170 countries. So we pretty much sell printers everywhere in the world uh, and support, I think we're at 37 or 38 languages that wow. we translate everything into. Oh so gosh. yeah, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's quite a complex company. Um, we've got about 1,200 people in R&D. Uh, in the technical side and another 700 or so in IT. Uh, and as you guys know, as you're watching the, the way technology is moving in the world, uh, IT is no longer back office systems. You know, IT is now customer facing, right? Mm-hmm. If you're, if your IT isn't part of your product, you're not really relevant anymore. Yep. Yep, yeah. Go ahead. So it's a, it's a big company spread out. We have people in the U S we've got people, uh, in Europe, in the Philippines in Asia, in India, uh, developers all over the place, very global. Something I'd like to dive in there that you just talked about is the size sure. of your R&D mm-hmm. department. You know, I think that relates very closely to innovation and, and what we're trying to get out with this conversation. And when we were talking on the phone, mm-hmm. you mentioned a lot of cool things that you guys were doing within R&D. So yeah. give us a few of your favorite projects you've seen kind of come through the, the R&D arm oh, of the business. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Over my career, there's been so many. But, um, you know, the thing I like about R&D, and I've always been drawn to it, it's been most of my career has been in R&D, is the ability to go off script. And you talk about innovation and you talk about kind of what sparks things. I've always been a believer that you just give the designers and the engineers some freedom and say, look, I don't even care if it's a printer. Uh, Just go design something and, you know, use your brain, use whatever facilities you want, come up with something. And we've had a lot of things come out. Um, We had a group that designed a um, magic card sorting machine for card collectors that basically you could drop a stack of magic cards in it. It would file through them automatically. It could recognize the image and it could go to a magic card database, tell you the value of your deck. It could resort your deck based on what gaming profile. I mean, these guys went all the way. So they basically took a a Lexmark scanner, uh, a simple system, a little software and made a really cool item out of it. You know, and things like that don't go to market. Uh, They're more learning for the team. But the best part and what I tell them is, look, it's not whether or not you go to market. It's what you learn along the way and who else did you work with, right? Because a team like that Mm -hmm. is comprised of so many different people that never got to work on 
this or that, but then they get to see it and they get to go through it. And then when they're done, they're just so much more creative and, and ready to roll on the problems we're facing, right? Then we give them the work problems and the real stuff and watch them come up with new solutions. Hmm. I think that's a, cool. that's a part of working at a large corporation that I feel like is probably overlooked a lot is, I mean, I'm sure that's not a common culture to have of just like, here's some resources and go out and just work oh. on whatever you want to do. <laughs> but to, to have that has got to be awesome for, for the people that are working with. Uh, I, I make or. that sound a lot easier than it is, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> we, we've done that at times, but I'll tell you, you know, being a big company, we control it pretty strongly. So, hmm. you know, one of the challenges in a big company of trying to be innovative is um, when you have a successful business like Lexmark does, uh, and any successful business will tell you this, you're trained, you understand what a dollar invested is going to give you in that business. You don't know what that dollar invested in something new and innovative is going to get you. And so you're weighing the the equation, right? Well, if I put the dollar in the poor, in the core business, I know the return. If I put it over here, I might get nothing back. And trained business leaders will, by definition, lean over toward the dollar in the core business. So it is tough. Tough to have the discipline to let teams go and, and kind of play. And so you try to carve out what you can to let them do it uh, when you can, when things are available. Constant challenge. Yeah. So I, I think you touched on it there, but let's just kind of segue into what it's like to be innovative as a really large company of, you know, 9,000 employees. Yeah. Uh, would you say what you just went over there is one of the hardest parts of being innovative as a large company or what is, what are all the dynamics that are going on? when you guys are trying to go after some of these new projects, aside from just the profitability of other potential projects yeah. you'd be going after? It's really uh, in today's climate. And I think most companies are this way. It's really finding the time because what we do is we optimize resource to just have enough to get the business running. And if you have excess capacity, you generally can't afford it. So you're trying to streamline your company. So like many companies, we have just exactly the number of people we have to keep the business running, probably a few less than we should have to keep the business running in the name of being efficient and economical. Uh, and so when you want to go take a team and say, I need you to go do some extra project, they're often too busy. So we probably fight that more than the investment, to be honest, is really just finding the time. And so we'll talk about it later, but we come up with programs, competitions, things to try to spark people to want to go find a way to put a little time in on something different uh, because it's energizing and it, and it helps productivity. So it's a win-win for the company. How do you take into account what the customer is telling you? How often do you take what the customer is <laughs> requesting as far as problems or requesting for, <laughs> hey, I would love this. And as a big company, you know, as a smaller company, you can be nimble and listen to a lot yeah. of those. But as a big company, how do you handle that? It is a challenge. So I will tell you, if it's acute, you know, something's down, something's broken, we obviously respond immediately. If it's longer term, like we really wish we had a product that would do X or Y, uh, I would tell you we try to listen um, one of the challenges of being a successful company like Lexmark is we've been doing printers for so long, it's easy to be complacent. So we might stop and think, you know, we, we know everything there is to know about printers. Why would we ask customers what they want? Because we've been doing this forever and we're successful. Obviously, we're doing a good job. And so you have to kind of remind yourself from time to time, I better be relevant here and make sure I at least check in with a few customers. So what we have, Evan, is we'll have a few customers uh, even local here, for example, uh, a couple banks and a couple other customers that are really uh, tied tight to us. And we'll give them new products and things and they'll give us feedback. And so we do have a way to check in and say, are we off the mark? How are we doing here? Uh, and they'll give us candid feedback. Uh, you know, and not everything we make makes everybody happy. Uh, that's just kind of part of making products. So you have to have thick skin and, you know, be willing to listen, open-minded and not just kind of yeah. explain away. Yeah. Some of the things you hear. I'm curious over, so you, you've been with Lexmark, you said 31 years, mm -hmm. is that correct? Over that time, kind of taking a step back, have you guys viewed things like R&D or customer discovery? Has that always been under some neatly tied bow of corporate innovation? Like what what has corporate innovation looked like over those 30 years? Because that, that term even hasn't always been used, but are these things you guys view as housed under one roof or do they often happen Disparately, uh, that that is such a great question, and the reason I'm laughing is I should have jotted down all of the names of the innovation teams that I've been on sure. in that in those 30 years because we've had some pretty creative names 
but no, the answer is it's constantly changing. It, we've never had that um, corporate innovation system that has just been locked in and we love it. We, we're never happy with it. Uh, and, and part of it is what we just talked about. You know, the you're a big company and you're successful and you're a tech company. And so there's an expectation. Uh, we better have some some cool stuff happening because we're a tech company, uh, but we're busy and we're making money. So well, how much cool stuff and, mm -hmm. and what cool stuff? And if someone comes and asks, well, you really want to be able to show them cool stuff. So how good is your innovation team? And we look at other companies and we study what they do and we try to have a team and a program and a name. So we move it a lot, I would tell you, and it changes with the times. Um, right now, it's much more software focused. Um, it's much more IoT, uh, AI, ML, all the things that are trending. You know, part of my job as chief technical officer is really watching emerging technology trends. And so I'm looking at the 10 year and the 15 year and the 20 year horizon. What's it going to be like when we have over a million printers that are out around the world that are deployed that we manage through an internet connection and we service them and we supply toner when they run out over a million, they're everywhere around the world. And most of the time, most people don't know this, but printers sit idle 95% of the time. They only print 5% of the time. So I have a compute farm of over a million CPUs sitting out there around the world already deployed that I could go send jobs to. I mean, it's a massive computer mm. server network. And I'm sitting here thinking, what could I do with that? I mean, what if I use that for edge computing, for example, as opposed to people having to go deploy new devices out on the edge? Why don't I just have them route jobs to these printers that are just sitting there? We have high-end quad-core CPUs in these things. I mean, they have a lot of memory. They're powerful. And they're just twiddling their thumbs all the time. Hmm. That so, is insane. I, I never <laughs> would have thought about yeah, that. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's where my head has to go. Yep. You know, I'm, the stuff we're building today, I, I quit thinking about a long time ago. Yeah, I'm, I've, I'm I've way, been studying yeah. edge computing recently. Edge computing is blowing up. And, and everyone yeah. now wants to go make more decisions and quit sending so much back to the cloud. Well, There's gotta be to do it, you got to have hardware. Yeah. And you got to have routines that run. And we already have the hardware. It's already out there. And we can already talk to it. It's what are some there. of the, the edge companies that you're tracking? The ones I've known are, you know, um, Cloudflare and Fastly. Yeah, so I, I would tell track? you we're watching the mainstream ones. But what we're also trying to do is we're trying to expand. Um, rather than go to them, we're trying to expand our offering to tell our current enterprise customers, look, if you have fleets of devices other than printers, that you would like to be able to manage in the efficient way we manage printers, we can help you. Our platform can really extend. We don't actually care that it's a printer at the other end of the line. It can hmm. be any intelligent device because it generates events and we respond. And so we're really abstracting that now. And we're in the middle of this massive transformation at Lexmark where we're modernizing the back infrastructure so that we don't care if it's a printer or a car or a phone or a camera or a, a basic temperature sensor, anything you want to connect, we can harmonize into a fleet and then we can manage it the way we manage a fleet of printers. And it's interesting because we're working with Microsoft and Amazon and, you know, the big companies and there aren't very many companies that have fleets in the millions of anything. And Microsoft wants us on stage desperately. They said, as soon as you're on, everything's on our IOT hub. We want you guys as a case study. Oh, because, you're building on there? You say you're building yeah, on their yeah, IoT hub? Right, okay. because they want hmm. the case study that says we have a customer that has a million devices on our IoT hub up and running because no one's near that. Yeah, and true. so it's kind of fascinating hmm. and old. What you'd think is an old kind of slow company like Lexmark could be leading edge showcased by Microsoft. And, you know, it's interesting to, to see that change happening. Is that, I mean, we're, we're sort of dancing around the fact that <laughs> Paper's going to be gone soon. It's all digital. Yeah. Is that the next, hopefully, is, frontier for Lexmark? It is the next frontier. And, and I would tell you, and I'll, I'll, you guys are going to have to stop me because I'll go forever. Um, if you think about print and you think about the gig economy, you know, where print is really going to head is businesses will always have to print. People will need print, but they really only need access to print. They don't really need a printer. So the end game is printers will consolidate. So in my in my view, every printer should print 95% of the time and sit idle 5% of the time. That's the way they're designed, but they don't. But the only way to do that is I decide I want to own printers and you all need print. So you submit your print job. It prints on my printer and model. I deliver it to you. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Well, think about how you get everything else instantaneously delivered. Why would a print job be any different? Mm-hmm. I submit my print job. I don't want to fool with owning a printer. I just need print. So it gets delivered to my door or we even created a prototype where you could submit a job to the cloud and it would show you the nearest three retailers that you could go get your job from. You can just drive over to Staples and get your job or CVS, walk in, swipe a card, your print comes out, you pay electronically, it's already in your account. So the when you see that, you can think about as you go forward and forward, there's fewer and fewer printers and all the print needs are all being done on fewer printers where they're more efficient, less wasteful. Yeah, a question, a question I have that's more of like a high-level CTO type question, kind of just a personal curiosity question. Uh, how do you stay up to date with the current trends on technology to be able to say, okay, I see this trend and I understand this part of the business really well. Let's see how we can take advantage of that trend. Like, are, where are you? That's a, that's a great question. I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of reading uh, online. I'm, I'm a bit of a futurist. I'm, I'm kind of a... Uh, um, I don't know if um, if you can say such a thing as an amateur futurist, but uh, websites like Quantum Run. I don't know if you've been on that website. Gonna write it down. Oh my nope, gosh! Nope, but about to be. <laughs> uh, Quantum Run is phenomenal. It's a small little group uh, on the West Coast that does a lot of futurist work, uh, and I watch that. And I'm also um, keenly just watching. You know, we have a, a team of engineers that'll do a report for me every year. That's technology trends and megatrends. So we're watching the healthcare trends, uh, age in place trends. We're watching sustainability trends. Uh, and that what I can do with that is I can take something like sustainability and I can go challenge an engineering team, go design me a printer that's completely refurbishable, hmm. uh, where once it runs out of toner and paper, I can just take it back and very quickly turn it around and send it back out. Design, you know, make that your design point, not that it runs for a million pages or that it runs at 50 pages a minute or, you know, give them a whole new uh, target. And so I've been playing with things like that quite a bit. And then those turn into innovation challenges, which inspire the teams to do something different. And hmm. so you really just have to kind of stay on top of what's out there. Um, websites, trends, uh, and some of the analysts do a really good job of that. So if you look at Forrester and Gartner and, and the, you know, uh, main publications and just do top 10 technology trends, uh, you'll see all the same reports I read. Cool. And uh, something that I'm sure has affected you guys pretty heavily is the shift to the remote work with as many employees huh. as you guys have. Talk about, well, first, let's just talk about how it's affected your business going to remote work. What has that been like for you guys? Yeah, it was tough. Uh, it happened almost overnight. It's pretty amazing. So in the middle of March, about this time last year, uh, we made the decision to send everybody home. And uh, we were fortunate that we had just picked up Microsoft Teams as a enterprise tool uh, and weren't really sure if it was going to be able to scale uh, as quickly as we needed it. But credit to them, they, they managed that uh, increase in workload, which had to be phenomenal for them. Uh, but we started to rely more on video. Now, one of the advantages we had is we have a lot of teams around the world. So we weren't foreign to meetings and things over video. Uh, what I would tell you was more challenging was sales engagements. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out, well, you can't go visit customers anymore. And our sales teams were quite nervous. You know, can I still make the sale? Uh, and as it turned out, the customers also had the same challenges. So we met in the middle. Um, things like uh, supporting a build in a factory. So typically we would send engineers to the factory for the first build of a new printer. Uh, and the engineers were accustomed to uh, certain processes and steps in the manufacturing where they knew they could kind of tune it and adapt it on the line when they saw it happen. Well, now they can't be there. So we started with cameras, you know, where the printer's being built in China and there's a camera following it down the assembly line and the engineers in Lexington watching on camera, trying their best to to interpret what's happening. Uh, Then they started figuring out, okay, I can't do this this way anymore because I'm not there and I can't adjust it and tune it. So now I have to design it different. So how am I going to design it so that I don't have to be there to watch it being built to make the adjustments necessary? Hmm. And so it's rippled into things like that, which you would never think of until the first Hmm. time you have to do it. And so uh, the human interaction part, I think we were used to. It's those kind of things. Sure. Hmm. And servicing machines. And we had a real problem uh, early in the pandemic where service personnel, number one, couldn't get in places where printers broke down or wouldn't go in places mm-hmm. where printer, you know because we have a lot of printers for example in nursing homes and we had service mm-hmm. personnel who said i'm sorry you can fire me uh, if you want i'm not going in there to fix it and so we had to have a lot of very understanding customers that sure. would bear with us to say look we're doing the best we can yeah 
which led to a lot of innovations on the service side as well. A lot more remote service. Uh, our remote fix capability is up dramatically now where you can fix so many more things from call support and from uh, debugging over the internet connection more than we ever did before. Yeah, I'm sure that's kind of been a tailwind for innovation. Yes. Uh, forcing you guys to just be in an uncomfortable situation and think, okay, how can we get past this and you know be remote and be safe, yeah. but still provide a solution? How do you see remote work you know, changing corporate innovation going forward? You know, it's a, we talk about it often. Um, and I think there's going to be long-term consequences we can't imagine right now to this, uh, dispersed, you know, dispersed workforce, uh, because, uh, you know, I remember when Google and Apple were making their big campuses out West and it was, you know, innovation by collision. I don't know if you ever heard that term, but what they, what they envisioned was if you just, if you brought in chefs and you had dry cleaners and amazing food and everyone just wanted to live on the campus at work that people would see each other coincidentally and they'd sit and talk and ideas would sprout and think, you know, it was innovation by just running into people literally. And that was a big thing in the nineties and the early two thousands. You think that worked? I don't know if it really did or not. That was the theory. And I think, you know, those companies are very successful. So is it because of that? I don't know. Or did they do that because they were successful? Um, but <laughs> they that, afford that, yeah. but that's yeah. going to change, right? So we don't, have a lot of in-person interaction anymore. So there's no water cooler uh, to run into your friends and say, Hey, did you hear about this and this? And uh, so we're trying to adapt. We're trying to find ways to overcome that. So that's one that I think long-term will be interesting to study. Uh, Short-term, we're also finding that there are employees that are much more productive when they're on their own at home, right? Some developers love it. I mean, yeah. it's just that's facts, all yeah. of a sudden they're cranking out lines of code, double what they used to, and they're happier. And they just like, why <laughs> couldn't I do this sooner? Introverts then, across the yeah, nation. Are right. And then you have other employees that they, they're kind of closed down and they're like, I don't, I can't, I need people to go. And so we've tried to adapt. We've tried to really be person by person. Uh, what makes you tick? What really makes you mm-hmm. go? If, you, if you're really jazzed being at home, stay at home. If you need to come in, we're going to make it safe. We're going to find a way for you to come in. And you can imagine that the engineers building a printer, they've got to get in the lab and physically touch the pieces mm-hmm. and parts. So so we had to do some pretty high-level cleaning and procedures and safety protocols to get our labs open early Yeah, uh, in all this. And we've kept them up. Yeah, Liz, I want to throw that same question to you. Uh, with Venture Labs, what are you guys seeing with COVID? What are you hearing? How are you all preparing for that with your clients? What about that? Yeah, I think it's interesting, Tom. I think you were on that call. So we Venture Labs is over the last year. Um, one of our COVID pivots was launching this corporate innovation roundtable, where we have brought together a lot of um, people whose jobs somehow revolves around innovation at some of the largest companies in the area. Tom has been one of them. We have Toyota at the table. We've had um, RJ Corman and Valvoline kind of name a company. And it's been a really great honor for us to be able to, we, Mike and I essentially just get to eavesdrop on their conversations around innovation. But I think one of the biggest takeaways is how tough it's been on culture, but also the push it's been toward innovation for a lot of companies. Um, that said, for us specifically, I don't know exactly what you were asking about. Um, I think how we service companies, we've had to offer a virtual component now. So we do a one-day workshop uh, for innovation consulting that we now offer virtually if needed, which it's interesting. Um, talk about getting people together in a room. That's really That was sort of the, the mission of our one-day workshop was if you get everyone together in a room, fun things are going to happen. And they do. That is a true statement. But if you get everyone together in a virtual room, what does that look like? And I think fortunately, it's been fun for us. It it has worked and it's actually worked well. Shout out to Logan. You showed us Miro, a tool, which then, um, which yeah, shameless plug while you're looking up all these things that Tom is telling you about, <laughs> go look at Miro. But we use that for Startup Weekend and we tested it there. And it's basically a it's it's sort of kind of a love child of a few different technologies. Yeah, online collaboration yeah, tool. And that's online. shout out that's shout out to Evan. Evan showed me Miro, and I knew <laughs> okay, he was sitting I'm, there oh, being like Oh no. Well this I know Miro. I yeah. just dug my grave. So <laughs> no, no, so we use Miro for Start Weekend and then we used it for our first virtual one. And it went really well. And I do think it was a stretch, you know, different personality types responded to different things. But um I think it was also a way for us to signal to companies, hey, innovation is still possible. 
doing remote work, we can still make this work. And in fact, we introduce we're introducing teams to do to new technologies that they can now work to collaborate with each other. So um, I think both for our team, but then also watching a lot of these corporate executives, we're we're learning a lot. And there's some interesting things changing like remote workers, right? So we're now willing to recruit from pretty much anywhere and you don't have to move. That's very new. But then it comes with the challenge of, well, how do you onboard someone onto a team and make them feel like they're part of a team and they're just a solo person who's never set foot on your site? They've never met anybody in person. They don't go to the celebrations and the dinners. They can't go out, you know, and have a beer after work. And yeah. so there's there's so many sides to that. Uh, I think it's challenging. And, you know, as a printer company, we certainly wanted people in the office because that drives printing behavior. And when everyone went home, our print just dropped almost like a rock. I mean, mm-hmm. You guys have like a live view of all the yeah, print oh, jobs. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. We could live. show, I could show That's you the crazy. graphs. It's pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah. When everyone went home, it just literally just went. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And we were pretty nervous, you know, and it's, it's finding its way back like mm-hmm. everything else. But, uh, but yeah. I'm curious to dig in a little bit deeper into people, culture, hiring, yeah. What what does that look like for you guys hiring the right people? But while we're talking about innovation, hiring innovative people, and do you think that's going to change going forward? You know, I I can't imagine any hiring manager saying they don't want innovative people. Sure, you know, it's it's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, what I would tell you, I've seen in the shift in what matters. Uh, you know, and for the young engineers out there and technology people that want to go to work, uh, we focus a lot less on what you can do as to how you do it now. And so, you know, what's your approach? What's your style? How do you fit in? How do you like to solve problems? What kind of team do you want to be a part of? Because the basic capabilities, you they're there, right? You come through school, you kind of have the raw materials. Uh, you're going to learn most of your job on the job. Uh, the real thing is, you know, what motivates you and, and why do you want to do what you do? And that makes so much more difference in the long term. And it used to be different. It used to be very much, you know, what's your GPA? What's your capability? You know, how many lines of code can you write in a week? Uh, you know, how many mistakes do you make? What kind of complicated design problems can you solve? And we would give uh, applicants tests quite often. I mean, when I hired on at IBM, I took a, it was a hard test. It was like, I was like, are you kidding? And they were like, no, this is, you know, you don't do good. You're not going to get hired. I was like, wow. Uh, so it's changing. Uh, the face of that's changing quite a bit. And to attract talent also is becoming a challenge. Because, you know, in, in perspective, employees are also holding us to a higher standard. Well, what do you stand for? Just making money? Sorry, I don't want to work for you, right? You've, are you purpose-driven as a company? What does Lexmark really want to do? And so I've been trying to spearhead things like, you know, how about Lexmark stands for having fewer printers on the planet and aggregating the print jobs like what I just talked about, right? What about that being a mission statement, right? There's too many printers and we need to go solve that problem because it's wasteful. Things like that will actually attract talent because they're like, I want to join you because you're actually trying to make a difference. You're doing something besides running a business and making money. And so we have to be eyes wide open on that because if you're really just about making a lot of money, you'll be limited. Hmm. Yeah. And something I'd like to circle back on with culture is earlier on, you mentioned having some programs that kind of fostered innovation Mm -hmm. for you guys. Love for you to just touch on those and what came from those as well. Sure. Well, we're doing a couple things and I'll tell you uh, as a, as a company, this is very corporate sounding, but there's a structure that we follow called the competing values framework. And it's very common. You can find it out there in the literature and it has four quadrants to it. Uh, but it's essentially talking about the things that push and pull each other in a business. And one, two of them are control versus create. And so being more innovative, more dynamic, more speedy, more agile is the opposite of being controlling and conservative. And so we measured ourselves. We we hired a company. They came and measured us. And no surprise, we're very control-oriented or red. They use the color red for control. And we want to be more green, more creative. So we're we're taking steps, right? There's... Lots of literature on how to move your culture from red to green. We're, we're actively pursuing that, trying to make those things happen. That's a corporate level statement. Um, some of the things that we've done, hackathons, you know, everyone does those. Our software developers love it. It's two weeks of just go build whatever you want. Um, those lately have tended to be mobile apps, things of mobile in nature, which are fun, uh, you know, and they're not. We don't have a lot of mobile stuff for Lexmark as a company. Uh, but then we broadened that a couple of years back and we created this uh, program called Focus to Future, where uh, one of the engineers had the idea and said, well, why do we just do it for software? Why don't we do it for all of the sciences? 
And so they came up with the name Focus to Future, uh, and it became a hackathon for everything. So no matter what you do, you just go in, and instead of it being a two-week sprint, we basically said we're going to make it a three-month sprint, and you form teams, and you can build whatever you want. At the end of the three months, there's a competition. And at the end of it, you know, there was some cash awards, which were fun, but then there were some trophies and things, which were more like bragging rights, you know. And of course, I got to give out a CTO award, you know, to the whatever one I wanted, which was, you know, highly coveted, of course. But then those have to rotate. So if you don't win it the next year, you got to pass it on to the other team. And uh, sparked a lot of fun stuff out of that. The magic card sorting machine came out of that, for example. And uh, so we do things like that from time to time just to get, that gets different people that wouldn't normally work together together on a, it, a I'll call it an informal program. Um, you know, if it's running behind and we said three months, then we'll just extend it. Uh, so we try to be relaxed with it, allow for unexpected things like well, we had a disaster and, you know, the teams had to go jump on some problem and they all got sidetracked and stuff. So, but we try to think of things like that just on a regular basis. Something new needs mm-hmm. to be new because we'll do that for a few years and then no one will join it. I'll be like, eh, it's, you know, now it's routine. We need something new. So you got to change it. It's yeah. Keep changing. Yeah. It's important to kind of keep everyone yeah. on their toes a little bit. And yeah. Like I said, I should have jotted down everyone. all the programs we've done over the years because it's been a lot of them. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. I, so I think in order for a company to offer things like that, you have to be comfortable with giving employees control and empowering them, which also means risk. And yeah. that's something we've talked about a lot. I know in those roundtable calls and that you've talked about a lot. A conversation that I would I would like for you to maybe bring here that we got to listen into is the difference between good and, and bad risk as it relates to both employees but also innovation. How how do you guys think about that? I know yeah. that's such a big question. It is a big question, but I'll, I'll give you another reference. So if you haven't listened to uh, a guy by the name of Dan Pink, you need to go look him up. Uh, Dan Pink is a uh, behavioral psychologist, I think. But he does TED Talks and he's written some books on... He's big on like sales, isn't he? Uh, no, he's no. more he's more about what just motivates people. It's more about motivation. <laughs> okay. And um, so he, he credits three things. He calls it autonomy, mastery, and impact. And I'm a huge believer in his uh, philosophy. Uh, and if you study what he does, basically what he says is for creative workers, right? Knowledge workers. So I'm not, I'm not a factory worker or operational where I just do the same thing over and over and I need to do it hundred times a day. Like there's a blank sheet of paper and I need to make something. Um, if, if I don't have autonomy, in other words, freedom of action, then I'm, I'm constrained. If I don't have the ability to be the master at what I do, or if I can't have a goal of mastering my skill, then I'm also constrained. And then I also have to be able to see the impact of my work. In other words, what I have, what I do has to matter. And if you can give those three ingredients to your creative people, your engineers, your knowledge workers, then there's no limit. And I've actually seen that in action. And so I started a, an R&D transformation program, believe it or not, like two years ago. And the banners we were putting up on the walls were autonomy, mastery, and impact. And I basically told everybody that I expect you to spend a certain amount of your time at Lexmark pursuing these three things. And they don't have anything to do with your day-to-day mm-hmm. work. And it took a long time for that to start to sink in, but it is sinking in. And so it's important. You've got to set that tone from the beginning, and you've got to tell people that's what's expected. Um, I remember when I started at IBM, there was a library in our lab building, and it was big. And you would go in there, and you'd see engineers sitting there and reading articles and publications and doing research and studying, and I'm thinking, you know, we got printers to design and we got deadlines and we're behind schedule. How do they, you know, and it was just a culture back in then where you never, you never set schedules and you never loaded teams so heavily that they were behind all the time. Hmm. They, they always had what I call headroom, you know, time in their day, time in their month in their week to do other things and, and learn and explore. And we took that away in the name of efficiency. Tech companies took that away and, and teams are, you know, there's even a, a philosophy of management I've read that says, you know, you set you set your capacity at 100 or you set your schedule at 120 percent of your capacity. That's how you stretch teams. You probably heard that. You need a stretch goal, Liz. You need a stretch goal. I feel like Elon well, Musk subscribes to that. It's just a I, guess. A lot of people do. Yeah. They really do. And, and you know, uh, Intel was famous for that. And Intel would do that and they'd set teams against each other. 
they put two parallel teams on the same project and whoever did a better job wins and the other one didn't. Hmm. And so there's a lot of philosophy behind, you know, the carrot or the stick, right? That That's a stick mentality, right? Like you, you're, you're punishing people into performance. Uh, I tend to prefer the other, which is give them the opportunity and let them understand the impact of what they do. And I've found it works much better. Uh, and I've got a lot of, you know, data from the, over the years of doing it, but it's interesting to see the different styles and then compare and contrast. What are some data points that you look to, to confirm those kind of things? Cause it's one thing to put yeah. a program in place or a methodology in place, but how do you say, oh, this is working? Yeah. So basically, um, we can watch what we can watch productivity in a lot of different ways. It's, it's how many people you have on a project, uh, how many different products they can produce in a certain amount of time and then how much money did it take? So just a quick anecdote, I took over a team that was, um, it was about a $65 million annual spend. Uh, and they were doing, they were doing a microfluidic design. Uh, we used to do inkjet. And so these were, we would design these things and they were, you know, microfluidic ejectors, uh, very complicated to design. And it would take two to three years to do one. Uh, and we would have tons of problems and we would build thousands of them and run them and test them till they broke uh, to try to figure out if the design's working or not. I took over that team again. It was 65 million a year. It was probably 250 people. Uh, and we were doing maybe one, we were getting one product out every two or three years. Um, I pushed that team to start doing some research and they were like, we're too busy. And I said, no, you have to do some research. And it took me a year to get them to start actually doing something besides just their job, literally a year. And I'm the boss. (laughs) And so they finally, they're like, well, we don't have any budget. And I said, did I ever tell you, you can't buy something? And they're like, no. And they said, well, we don't have budget. I said, if you want to buy something, just go buy it. And so a a small team finally started doing some stuff on the side and some experiments. And uh, if you've heard of like lab on a chip, so they did some of that where you have a whole like medical glucose meter and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they were designing these things, right, for fun. Hmm. And all of a sudden the other teams were like, why do they get to go work on that? And I said, I told you all to go (laughs) do that, right? And so literally over time, that team went from 65 million a year about 250 people to 21 million a year and about 75 people. And they were doing twice as many print heads and building a third as many to do the quality checks just because, and and, and I'm not going to take credit for this because I could tell they were burned out and I just wanted them to have some time to relax. And I said, look, you guys are burned out. You've got to go do some other stuff. And I kind of just pushed and pushed and nagged them till they did. And then I went back later and I looked at the results and I thought, oh my gosh, their productivity, and I'm I'm going to use a really dumb analogy, but I think you're going to get it. It's kind of like you can't go out and play until you finish your chores. You remember that when you were a kid? It's like you can't go out and play until you wash the dishes. Well, you'd get really good at washing those dishes fast because you really were motivated to go play. It was the same phenomenon. It was like they would do so much more work on the normal job because they were excited to get to the other stuff. And so it wasn't about working overtime and it wasn't about you got to work nights and weekends to get this done. It real They didn't understand how low their productivity had gotten because it was an unwinnable game. They were always behind. Things were always broken. They never had enough. It was a mental state. It wasn't reality. Hmm. And so I watched that and I, and later I looked back at it and I was like, what happened? Then I heard about Dan Pink and I went and started reading some of his stuff and I was like, that was what it was. Yeah. I basically gave them autonomy and I let them go master some new craft and they were inspired. And then the impact was what they were doing in their normal job. And I started showing them the results and they were looking at it going, we did that. And I said, you did do that. So it was very cool. It was yeah. fun to see. Yeah, and I've repeated it a few times. That was, I'll date myself. That was like 2003 or something. I love that. That's a very people first approach. It was a very people. And, and again, I kind of fell into it. Didn't really know what I was doing. And then later kind of read about the, the science behind it, if you will. And it all made sense. I Absolutely. think if you look at a machine and don't take into account that it's humans running it, that's when you miss the mark. I also think it's interesting that at the beginning of the conversation, you were saying I think you were in reference to how many people Lexmark has, and you said we have X amount, which is probably less than what we should have because that's often where the barometer is set. Is like, oh, if we need 8,000, yeah. oh, all right, well, then let's the, have yeah, yeah. 7,500. Very, very typical, right? It's the 120% rule. Yeah. Right. 
It's like you yeah. don't ever have, yeah. I mean, heaven forbid you have extra people. I mean, right. Well, yeah. No one would do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so you've been at Lexmark for what was it, 31 years? Yeah. That's such an awesome accomplishment to to be with a company that long and watch it go through all these changes and everything. Uh, so to kind of close out this this conversation, uh, talk about where Lexmark is heading into the future. I know you've seen it go through lots of changes, yeah. but talk about the next 10, 20, however mm, many years. Yeah, glad to do it. Well, you know, the the as I said, I think the nature of how print gets done and how people get access to it is going to be interesting. Um, and we're following those trends, you know. So we're, we're meeting businesses where they need us. Uh, and we're we're really interested to see what this work from home thing does. Uh, we've got a, some new prototypes and some new ideas for servicing that work from home employee uh, that you might see some news about soon. So uh, stay tuned for that, but uh, not disclosed just yet. But some real fascinating concepts for how to handle this home workforce, right, which is challenging because they need print, but they don't need a lot. And so economically, it's a little tough to satisfy that. Uh, and then I would tell you again, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier, Logan, but the uh, the idea of I really don't care if it's a printer uh, and we're really starting to open our eyes. And and believe it or not, we've had customers come to us. We had a, a big health provider in Canada and we service a lot of hospitals. It's another one of our big uh, vertical markets. And they came to us and they said, you know, the company that we have that's managing, I think it was infusion pumps or something. They were like, they're horrible. You guys are so much better. Can you guys manage infusion pumps do you know how to do that and you know back then we our salespeople kind of had to say uh, i'll go ask but i don't know you know and we kind of said well we don't really do that but thanks for asking but now we're starting to say what you know why didn't we hmm. because it's really just a smart device that tells you when it's out of supplies or when there's an air condition or if things are healthy and so we're really opening our eyes to what we can do uh, and we've got a lot of very brilliant engineers. So we've created some very cool platforms uh, and some devices that you can deploy out on the edge that have skills. So it's a very skill-based, not to steal from like Alexa, but in that same uh, that same idea of do you want to monitor video? Do you need to do something with audio? Do you need to do something with just basic uh, internet connectivity alerts kind of thing? And then what actions need to be taken? So... Uh, we kind of call it sensor to action, if you will. It's a term we use uh, where something happens in the field. You need to take an action. Uh, do you want to do it locally? Do you want to send it into the home office? We can offer all of those different ways of handling it. So it's going to be exciting. I think you're going to see um, a lot more news from Lexmark. We're trying to really change our spots and not hide underneath the, the walls over there like we have been for years. Uh, a lot more press events, a lot more... Um, talking about Lexmark as a technology company. And so you should see a lot of that, a lot more of that. Uh, and then new things coming out, new offerings and, and things. And still very strong in print. Uh, you know, and one other thing I'll, I'll end with this maybe is a lot of people don't realize that as print has matured, um, like a lot of other things, you know, many, many other companies buy Lexmark printers and put their logos on them. So we actually make the best print engines for letter-sized paper and we sell them to a lot of our competitors and they put their name on them and they sell them. So it's, it's like any industry, right? Uh, you know, VCRs at the end, I think there was only one company making them <laughs> and everyone else put their names on them. But, you know, for those so of you listening, if you need to Google what a VCR is, <laughs> take time to go do that. Yeah, go find out what a VCR is. We had an interesting conversation earlier about uh, DVD players, which are going the same route. But um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on in the print industry as well. Uh, but you know, we've, we've stuck to our, uh, we own our technology mantra in the print space and it's worked well. Yeah. And a lot of other companies are not making that investment. They just turn to us for the actual uh, print engine itself. So a lot going on in print engines and beyond. Awesome. Well, Tom, thanks so much for coming on here and shedding some light on what Lexmark does huh. beyond just printing. I think our audience is going to come away from this understanding, uh, the type of innovation that's been going on here in Lexington within Lexmark. Such a staple company, too. Yeah. You can't drive yeah. down, what is it, Newtown Pike? You can't drive down yeah. that road without, you know, seeing yeah. it. It's just this big yeah, it's a, it's, it's a longstanding mm -hmm. uh, company, and, you know, we've weathered a lot, uh, but very resilient and with a bright future, super bright future. Absolutely. 
Yeah. But thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. It's been sure. great. It's been a pleasure. And uh, Liz, I want to give you a second to, to plug Venture Labs here. If there's sure. uh, a corporate decision maker listening in, how can they learn more? <laughs> what they what, what do they need to do to get in contact with <laughs> I'm you? I'm so glad you asked, Logan. <laughs> no, uh, really, we are um, – this year has been – we're off to a strong start, largely due to the support of a lot of people like Tom. So um, we can – uh, well, find us at awesomeinc.org forward slash Venture Labs. Also, if you're down for a good time in your email inbox, we send out a newsletter twice a month that I promise is both interesting and funny. The two things I would love to say, Tom, both to Lexmark in general, what I want people to take away from this that I love about the story is that you guys have taken a step back to say not only what products do we make, but what assets do we have and how do we redefine us as a company? I don't know that's something I would have known not from hearing from you guys, but saying we are not print, we're technology. What does it mean to manage a network of anything? And that I think that just is a brilliant example of that. That's innovation. That's looking yeah. at breakout ideas, taking what's at your fingertips to redefine redefine who you are. Um, but then just from us, I just want to say thank you. On Thursday, you're retiring. So thank you just from myself and Mike. I know I speak on behalf of Mike. You've been a support from us from day one of us launching this crazy thing. You sat on a panel a year and a half ago for us when we were just getting started. So thank you just for your support and leadership that you've been to the city of Lexington. I hope you feel uh, Lexmark in the city sending you out into retirement to do all the happy, happy sitting around doing whatever that you want. Sounds great. <laughs>